Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. You're listening to the Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Welcome to The Hash on Coindesk TV. And if you are listening to us, you are listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jensen Assey. On today's show, we got Wendy O, Adam B. Levine, Will Foxley, David Morris, and Sandali Handagama. Wendy, you got our first story. Oh boy, the saga continues between all of the crypto exchanges. So according to this article here, Dallas Mavericks fans fume at Mark Cuban over Voyager crypto bankruptcy. So when you go ahead and you read this article here, last October, Cuban signed a contract which linked his NBA team, the Dallas Mavericks, to crypto lender Voyager Digital for five years to make crypto more accessible through education. Kind of curious about that aspect. But fans basically got $100 to trade on Voyager if they deposited $100 and just traded $10. So they got an additional $100 that way. I don't know what type of educational things that they are, were going to do, but I guess a lot of people are upset because we know that Voyager filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And I'm upset too. I've got queens there. But I just think that this goes to show that even people well-versed in TradFi and other professional business aspects didn't see this coming with Voyager. I actually want to throw this over to Will for a sassy comment. Got one for you. Uh, all these customers did get an education pretty quick, right? So they... <laughs> They're in the process of um, going through Chapter 11 bankruptcy with everyone else <laughs> in Voyager. So this is tough to see from Mark Cuban. I, I think he's a pretty interesting individual, but every time he's gone up to take a stroke in crypto, he's basically whiffed. Uh, Iron Bank was the last one. And that was DeFi, right? That was supposed to be the stuff that's not going to break. It's supposed to be backed by a bunch of collateral. And he picked the one that didn't work out and uh, lost out a bunch there. He got a ton of criticism when Iron Bank went under. And then he works with this C5 firm, signs a five-year deal that also doesn't pan out. So pretty tough to be Mark Cuban these days, interacting with crypto. At the same time, you look at some of his comments, pretty fair, right? He talked about Shiba Inu, talked about Doge, said those are not investments. Talked about Voyager itself, said this is an investment. There's some risk involved, so be careful before you go ahead with this. And to be fair, like he was making about education, right? They gave out like this $100 deal. You put $10 in, you do a little trading, get a little money off. That's pretty common for onboarding people into new applications. 
it was just unfortunate that Voyager was choosing to loan out huge amounts of money to a very high progressive hedge fund called Three Arrows Capital. Uh, so I can't really put this on Mark Cuban as much. Some of his comments seem to make this like a, he was pretty conservative, right? He was pretty conservative with some of these things. Maybe not the best sponsorship deal, but it's hard for me to imagine that he knew that Voyager was dealing out so much money to 3AC. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, last year and earlier this year, we spoke so much about these sports sponsorships being like a pillar of mainstream adoption and a pillar of trust. And it's unfortunate to see now that for these Dallas Mavericks fans, some of that trust has begun to erode because of what's happening in the markets. Will, to your point, I think this is a great lesson for them. This partnership, this educational partnership was announced in October and we are now in July. And so I think, you know, the partnership was announced in October. I'm sure they were planning to launch something. The markets took a turn. I think there's still an opportunity here for the Dallas Mavericks to save face and still launch some kind of educational platform, some kind of educational something to get their fans learning about crypto so their next investment is better and they can understand the risks a little bit better so they're not left with this sour taste in their mouth. So I think they can turn this around and I hope they do. David. Yeah, I guess I'll just close by reflecting again on how bizarre these lending platforms are as entities. And that does play into why, to whatever degree, you know, Mark Cuban made a poor call here. I mean, these are entities that act like banks on the retail side that accept deposits from anyone, basically, and then go and do institutional lending on the backside that's very high risk. And I think that there was you know, not much understanding of the risk on the back end, or even really exactly what they were doing to generate the yield that they were giving to depositors. And so I do think, and we haven't heard a lot about this as Celsius and Voyager and others and BlockFi come run into trouble, but I think there's a real job for regulators here, because I think that these entities were misrepresenting themselves in certain ways. I mean, Voyager specifically, is now under investigation because it seemed to be implying that deposits were FDIC insured, which was not true. On the regulatory front, I think we're going to see some serious shoes dropping on all of this over the next few days and weeks. And I really, Wendy, hope you and other other depositors get some relief. The, the bankruptcy is going to be interesting. I guess the silver lining here is that at least they did give people $100 that put $100 in. So the burn isn't too bad if they only put $100 in. So fingers crossed that Dallas Mavericks fans only put $100 in. And I hope we see something positive that comes out of this in the future. And at least Voyager is actually communicating with their customers. I got the email this morning. And so that's a positive note because <laughs> cough, cough, a few only other platforms. Wendy? <laughs> Well, we got the email about the, the Chapter 11 bankruptcy, but we got the email again this morning about the restructuring and how that's going to work. And I know that some other platforms, you actually have to follow what they're doing on chain to see what's happening. <laughs> Back to you, Jim. Yeah. Well, Wendy, I actually have a question for you as someone with money with Voyager. So the restructuring says that if you had money on the platform, you're going to get um, a combination of proceeds from the recovery common shares in the new company, and Voyager tokens. How do you feel about that as someone who has money on the platform? Well, first off, the money that I had there was it was a little bit of additional capital. I had a couple moon bags there because I was trying to generate that yield. But I also lost money in quite some other crypto exchange hacks or exchanges that went down. So for me to actually get something back, potentially, that's very, very exciting because when I lost money on Cryptopia, 
that's gone forever. So this is a good positive thing. But at the same time, I knew the risks of leaving my stuff there and most of my audience did as well. So something's better than nothing. We got the first tweet from Suzu in quite a while talking about the liquidation event that they're trying to go through right now. Some creditors are trying to have been taking their funds and there's some court orders going out. Suzu tweeted about how the liquidators were not acting in good faith in regards to some token holdings that were under contract by Three Rose Capital. Three Rose Capital, of course, does not have the ability to exercise some of these options right now because these court-appointed liquidators are in control of their books. Uh, this comes after last week, last Friday, when we found out that Suzu and Kyle Davies, who are the co-founders of Three Rose Capital, are on the run, or at least they're not in Singapore. Their offices were locked. There was mail stacked in front of the door. And the location and whereabouts of these two crypto behemoths is unknown. David, I want to throw this one over to you. To me, this is just another step in the saga that is 3AC. They went from the top of the crypto world now to the very bottom. and We don't even know where they are. Yeah, very bottom. And this is kind of discount rebuttal. This is just an attempt to reframe them as the victims when that is clearly not what's going on here. Suzu has tweeted twice about operating in good faith, but both times that was after they have simply disappeared and refused to pay back uh, or even engage in dialogue with people who they owe hundreds of millions of dollars. So he's just, you know, brazenly misrepresenting what he's doing. There was some, and, and I don't know a ton about this, so take this with a grain of salt, but um, Starkware is the token uh, in question here. That is a project that people have been fairly excited about for a long time. And I saw at least some chatter on Twitter that this may be the first confirmation that Starkware is issuing a token. That's actually probably more interesting in the big picture than whatever the substance of Suzu's uh, claims are here. It's whatever. It's just a guy who's backed into a corner who's saying whatever he in his little frightened brain thinks is going to get him out of the trouble that he got himself into. Jen, I saw your hand up. Yeah, you know, I just wanted to say this isn't the first time we've seen this story, right? A crypto company blows up, retail customers are affected, and then the founders just disappear. It's kind of disheartening to, to see that this keeps happening over and over again. I was reading that both co-founders were on a Zoom call last Friday with their cameras off and muted, just listening in. And I wouldn't be surprised if we just never see or hear from these guys again. And everyone who was affected by this are just kind of left with their hands up in the air. I would love to see more accountability in the future and some kind of guardrails put in place so that these people can't just run away and disappear. It seems like it's becoming too commonplace. Like we hear about this too often in crypto and uh, I just don't, I don't want to hear about that anymore. David? My only optimistic take on that is just that I think that in this case, it's too big a deal for them to simply disappear. I mean, best case scenario for them, perhaps, is they're able to find some non-extradition country they can flee to. But if they do that, they'll never be able to return to the United States, to other uh, Western countries where if they simply disappeared, there would be warrants issued for their arrests. And, you know, I will say they do have legal teams in place that are doing formal processes. You know, there is some procedural stuff going on. I guarantee you they're thinking about disappearing completely. But, you know, I, I don't think that that's actually going to work out for them. I mean, this is at a scale that we haven't seen before, and the consequences are going to be commensurate. 
Can I chime in uh, on this? Please. I want to, I actually want to say, because I read the tweet that he put out and it just didn't sit right with me when you're talking about having some sort of good faith or even using a comment like that. It just kind of shows how egotistical you are. The fact that they did not show good faith to other parties that they were dealing with was very, very disheartening. So why should people show them the same type of decency and respect? But I don't think they're actually going to be able to fully, fully, full on flee. They can, they can try to, but at the same time, they're very, very well known. People are going to spot them somewhere. It's going to get out. They would really have to kind of abandon everything that they have. They're, you know, they're in the court system now. They have a team of attorneys that's, you know, going to try to help and protect them and whatnot because that's their attorney's job. But at the same time, I don't feel sorry for them. And I also want to, anybody that's watching right now, people that you do business with in crypto, they're not your friends. They're your allies. And just remember that an ally can also turn into an enemy at a different time when the narrative doesn't suit them anymore. Inflation or the rate at which prices across the economy are going up. And spoiler alert, it's pretty quick. New numbers out this morning from the Consumer Price Index or CPI rose a whopping 9.1% in June, accelerating from May's 8.6% pace to a fresh 40-year high. But to put those numbers in perspective, the way that official inflation numbers are calculated has been changed at multiple points since the 1980s. This chart, which we should put up now, comes to us from Shadow Stats, run by John Williams, one of the only economists who's maintained analogs to the older methodologies. So the chart we're looking at right now really says it all. The red line is official inflation from 1980 through today as we measure it today. The blue line is that same data, but interpreted consistently today, interpreting it the same way as we did in the 1980s, the last time we had such high inflation. So if you think inflation is high today with the above 9% annual reading, take a look at what that blue line shows. We're actually at all-time highs and above 15%, according to these older methodologies. The new data suggests that the Federal Reserve will continue monetary tightening conditions aggressively as part of their public efforts to reverse this decade's uh, high levels of inflation. Uh, and I think there's a lot to dig in here, but let's just kind of get straight to the conversation. Wendy, kind of what do you think about all of this? I'm not a fan of inflation. I'm not a fan of these numbers. I'm not a fan of any of these type of reports because all that they are, it's a bunch of data that is used to manipulate the masses because people look at it and they look at mainstream news and they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. But they're really not seeing how bad it is. And the chart that you just showcased really showed how terrible and how high inflation is. And again, I pay a lot of attention to what's happening in different communities where I live in LA County. Stores are empty. People aren't buying as much. I went out with friends the other night. There was nobody on the freeway, which is really, really bizarre for LA County. And in regards to how this is impacting the crypto markets, I think one of the reasons why we tumbled, we saw a lot of weakness with Bitcoin on Sunday when we covered the Bitcoin weekly close. But we also are seeing people just kind of, I don't want to use the term freak out, but I want to say a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines and they're not really interested in participating in any type of investments because we don't know how much higher inflation is going to go. And we don't know how much more money is going to be printed. We don't know what exactly our public servants are going to do to correct this. And it's kind of a time of uncertainty. I know me, I'm very excited to be hoarding some cash, to be hoarding some Bitcoin. But at the same time, it's, I'm still very, very nervous of what is to come in the near future. The interesting thing to me, just bring up what, or riffing on what Wendy was saying is like, where do you put your money right now, right? Like inflation's tough. So if you've been keeping a nest egg of cash because you're waiting for like the market to drop, a lot of people were doing that. They're looking at like, housing, they're looking at car prices, and they were choosing to sit on their cash for quite a while. Well, then you're down, right? 10%. Uh, that's a pretty tough place to be if you're just holding cash. Or you can move into equities, right? Well, that's not doing very well either. Precious metals really haven't moved that much. Bitcoin has not been a good investment for quite a while. So that's a tough place to be. 
And then even the bond market, it's like, well, am I really going to bet on the US being able to fulfill its huge debt promises? It's a tough place to be also. There's nowhere good to be during an inflationary environment because the underlying currency you're using is weakening. And it's, it's just like, that's how it is. That's the tough place, place with inflationary environments. Whenever we look at this and we look in the past as like our corollaries, we can do my little history moment. I think we got a wipe for it somewhere. Then you can see that all these central banks have a tough time making changes to get out of them, right? The 1970s, stagflation. What was the end of that? The 1980s, price hikes for uh, interest rate hikes, where interest rates were pushed almost to 20% for quite a while. And that was the only way to get out of this. It was a huge recession. Saw similar things in the 90s and even going back further, 1920s, 1930s. You had to make some very large changes to get out of these environments. Uh, so I think a lot of people who are looking at the macro trends are waiting for some sort of shooter drop somewhere else to get us out of this picture. But as far as I'm concerned, I think we're going to see inflation going for quite a bit longer. Jen, I'll throw it to you. And then Wendy also has some thoughts. Yeah, I, you got to stick with me because I'm going to start with a quote from the cult classic office space. And it's one that I think of every time I read about inflation. Every single day of my life has been worse than the day before. So that means every single day when you see me, it's on the worst day of my life. This is how I feel when I read these inflation numbers. Every single time we read it, it's the highest it's been in four decades. And there's, there's kind of no solution in sight. Yesterday, we spoke briefly about the job market and how it remains strong. Wendy, to your point, you brought it up earlier on the show. You brought it up yesterday. There are these numbers about the job market and what analysts are saying, what people in the, in the media are saying is that the job market remains strong. People are still spending money. But when you go out into the stores, Wendy, you recognized it in, in Los Angeles. I'm seeing it here in Canada. The stores are dead. Products are on the shelves. Salaries only increase at what maximum 7% a year. That is not filling the gap. If we look at the price of goods at this time last year, compared to the price of goods this year, there is an extraordinary increase in the things we need to live every day. Gas for our homes, gas for our cars, food, chicken, eggs, milk. And so this is just really dismal to read. And every day it feels like the worst day. But Wendy. I've got to say two different things. First off, I bought my sister a car the other day. And when we went to the dealership, the price for used cars that had like 5,000 miles on it was approximately like five to $6,000 more than a brand new car. So we ended up getting her a brand new car because the cost was more affordable. I just, I know that the, and I'm trying to segue this into how that impacts inflation. The, the secondary market for cars is absolutely crazy. People do not want to take out loans to purchase cars. And you can actually, like if you were able to buy a car a couple of years ago, you're actually able to sell it and make profit, which is kind of bizarre. And I'm trying to figure out how that ties into inflation, but kind of back to Will's point is that when we're talking about the, the interest rates in the 80s, um, how they, for the, for the housing market, how are they, they were close to 20%. The wages were also a lot different and also the cost of living was a lot different. So you're actually able to afford a, like an apartment or whatnot for approximately $300 in LA County. And the price to purchase a home, I think, was about 100000 150000 So I don't know if continuing to raise interest rates are going to actually do anybody any good because you won't be able to buy a house, especially with the home prices here in California. In LA County, I think a starter home is like five hundred dollars or $600,000. And I can't, can you imagine that with a 14% interest rate? There's a lot to say here. So let me just say that, you know, uh, so much of what's going on right now kind of in the world and in the economy is driven by monetary policy, which is why all of this stuff matters. And monetary policy is presented as the solution. 
but it's also then sort of shielded as the responsible party for why we're in the particular situation that we're in. But that's really what it comes down to, is that whenever you're looking at any of these things, no matter what kind of statistics we're talking about, and you know, on Friday, when we talked about the, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics numbers that were out, we also talked about how, although the headline figures that they were showing us showed that the economy was growing very strongly, if you actually looked at the data, what you would see is that people lost full-time jobs in net terms, people lost part-time jobs in net term. And the only category that grew was people who had more than one job with the number of people who were working full-time hours at more than one job, you know, reaching an all-time record high. So like, these are not strong numbers. These are numbers that are being massaged to make us feel better about the situation that we're in by people who are responsible for delivering results. But in reality, all they can do whenever they try to fix anything is cause distortions in the market. And those distortions then ripple through they cause problems like the ones you're seeing in, in you know, housing and the ones that you're seeing in the used car market. That all has to do with the too cheap availability of money and all of the problems that that causes. And it's very likely, in my opinion, that cars are going to actually enter a market where it's severely depressed because of the dynamics where you're going to have lots of borrowers who are defaulting on this stuff. On the one hand, it's bad. And on the other hand, at least they're failing in ways that are increasingly hard for us to ignore. I think that that means that the chance of something really changing is, is a little bit better than otherwise might be. Crypto yield giant Celsius declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the Southern District of New York. In a statement released by the company along with the news, quote, Today's filing follows the difficult but necessary decision by Celsius last month to pause withdrawals, swaps, and transfers on its platform to stabilize its business and protect its customers. Without a pause, the acceleration of withdrawals would have allowed certain customers, those who were first to act, to be paid in full while leaving others behind to wait for Celsius to harvest value from illiquid or long-term asset deployment activities before they receive a recovery, end quote. And in a statement from co-founder and CEO Alex Mashinsky, quote, this is the right decision for our community and company. I am confident that when we look back at the history of Celsius, we'll see this is a defining moment where acting with resolve and confidence serve the community and strengthen the future of the company, end quote. Now, Celsius says that they have $167 million in cash on hand and that they will continue to operate, but they won't be allowing customers to withdraw. Customer claims, they say, will be addressed through bankruptcy proceedings. So, Will, I think let's start with you today. You know, I don't think this move was unexpected and markets didn't even really blink kind of when we saw it. So, I mean, is there any bad news left to have or what's your read on this generally? Apparently, there is more bad news, right? Because they're saying they're operating um, as normal, yet they're not allowing people to withdraw funds. So how do you square that, right? It doesn't quite make sense at all. Cheers to Mashinsky, though, for always pulling out the PR stunts, right? He can always get a nice little line in there about the community and how much they value the community. Well, if you did value the community, you probably wouldn't have been operating as a large Ponzi scheme for the last few months, maybe even years at this point. It's hard to know, right? Chapter 11 bankruptcy is nothing to wink at. We've seen a lot of different firms go through this route right now. Three Arrows Capital, of course, is probably the most important going through bankruptcy proceedings right now because of how many different firms 3AC touched. It seems that Celsius was probably also involved with that, right? A lot of these firms were taking large amounts of capital from other, either customers, principal investors, or themselves loaning it out to 3AC. 3AC was making very aggressive, super cycle long bets. Those bets didn't turn out. They got liquidated. Firms scrambled to get that capital back, the collateral. And only some firms were able to get collateral back. And the rest are now going into bankruptcy. Uh, we're going to talk about CoinFlex in a second here, which is also going through some difficult times. Seems like Celsius is probably the worst though, right? Uh, bankruptcy, Chapter 11, that's rough. And for those who have funds in Celsius, 
it's going to be quite a while before you get anything out of it. So look at Mt. Gox right now, right? It's been a decade almost for people to get their Bitcoin back. And a lot of times people just gave up on the whole process. They didn't even care anymore. It's like, I'd rather just move on and get on with my life. So they probably sold their receipts for those Bitcoin to hedge funds. Now we don't really know what's going to happen with that. I can see Celsius, same thing. It's going to take a very long time for anyone to get their funds back. And even if they do get funds back, it's going to be partial amounts of those funds. And if you get funds back denominated in that token they're using, it's a good chance that token's not worth anything anymore going forward. Sandali, I'll throw it up to you. Thanks, Will. That was that was a great description of everything that's going on. I just wanted to add that Celsius Mining Unit also filed for bankruptcy just literally months after announcing its intention to go public. It filed an S1 form for an IPO um, as early as March before everything sort of came tumbling down. I feel like there's not enough chatter about the impact of the market downturn on mining in general. There was so much money going into mining during the bull market. Celsius Mining said it invested $500 million for its Bitcoin mining operations, I think, just in North America. And it was after China's mining ban, lots of mining companies were expanding into Europe and, and the Americas at you know, breakneck speeds. And in the last few months, miners have been forced to sell their mine to crypto to manage operating costs. And Coindesk wrote about them maybe turning to mergers and acquisitions to survive. So this is another blow to add to what you know, Celsius investors are going through from the mining side as well. Jen, I saw your hand go up. Yeah. First, Will, I would like to apologize. I did not mean to make light of what you were saying. My audio was cutting out and I have a horrible (laughs) poker face. So apologies on my end. I need to say crypto companies really need to figure out how to do crisis comms better. I went off to the Celsius website again this morning, like I did last week. I did some clicking around on their blogs and, and announcements. And this statement feels very clinical for what's happening here to to their customers. If I was a customer, which I am not, but if I was a customer reading this, I would feel like I didn't know where to go, right? When they're explaining what chapter 11 bankruptcy means from a customer perspective, they tell you to click out and watch a video. It's a video on the YouTube channel. That's an animated explainer with stock music. I just feel like, you know, a message from the CEO just being a person would go so much further than than this explainer. And it comes back to that human element that's been, that is kind of lost in crypto in the good times and the bad times. We really focus on the tech. We really focus on being very like technical and matter of fact in our language when at the end of the day, we're dealing with people. And so I hope that we can learn and in crisis communications, really a level set and speak to people like they're people so that they can understand what's happening to their money at the end of the day. But Adam? I I think the problem with your argument, Jen, is that there's no good news to talk about here, right? Like the reason why I read the first part of that statement where it talked about the reasons why they thought it was, you know, it was a good thing, or at least why they were portraying it, trying to portray it as a good thing, that people weren't allowed to withdraw is because they don't have enough money to fulfill their commitments. So again, like, This is, in a very real sense, a confidence game, not like our con game, but like our confidence game in that to the extent that people think that you aren't going to be able to pay them and they can take their money out now, they're going to take their money out now. So, I mean, like it's a classic bank run type situation. And so whether you're talking about Voyager, who did exactly the same thing, uh, or you're talking about Celsius, uh, you know, you're looking at companies that have no good options on the table. And so it's not a question of how do we handle this in an ideal setting? 
it's a question of given that everything's on fire, what's the least worst way that we can handle this that gives us the most flexibility to try and pull some money out of this, frankly, because this is these are you know companies that were worth billions and billions of dollars and which are now either worth negative money, uh, you know, if they kind of uh, continue along their current path, or maybe they manage to come back and become something kind of significant. And that's the hope for all these companies. That's why you've got Voyager out there saying, we're not just going to pay you back in, you know, some of your crypto, we're going to give you equity in the new company, we're going to give you our token, we're going to, you know, like, do anything that we can to make it so that you let us just go through this process. Because to the extent that the creditors don't try to don't really, you know, support that process, they'll make it more difficult. And their chances of succeeding and, you know, successfully navigating that without losing everything will go down significantly. That's for the company, not for the, uh, not for the, uh, like the people who have uh, funds with them. But yeah, to to uh, to Will's point, you know, like this is very very Mount Goxy. There's just not too much that the company can do. There's bad outcomes for the individuals, and to the extent that they get upset about it and focus on it, they can make it a lot more difficult for the companies. Tough times all around for sure. That's right. I'm interested to see yes. what some of the other playbooks are going forward because we look like you said, Adam. We've seen Celsius shut off returns or being able to pull out money. Voyager is similar thing. Uh, CoinFlex is also doing that, but they seem to be opening up withdrawals a little bit. Uh, all these firms, like the first thing they do is turn the, the bank off, right? They shut the taps off so that they can try to get like their liquidity uh, set up correctly. And they're hoping that the market turns towards them. But so far, none of that has really worked, right? It feels like deja vu, but we are in fact talking about Celsius again, this time with a little twist. In a new report, two unnamed sources told the Financial Times that at least some of the solvency issues buffeting the now-in-bankruptcy crypto yield giant originates with a company called Equities First. According to the report, Celsius began borrowing from Equities First in 2019 using crypto to over-collateralize their loans. The trouble began two years later, in 2021, when Celsius was asked to repay a loan in order to get their collateral back, only to be told that the collateral could not be returned in, quote, a timely basis, according to the report. Equities First is currently repaying Celsius some $5 million per month, but at that rate, things could take a while. The debt is made up of $361 million in cash and nearly $79 million worth of Bitcoin. Well, we've been talking about Celsius recently quite a lot, and it's interesting to see some details come out about not necessarily the situation that they're in today, but sort of some of the events that led up to this situation we're facing today. What do you think? Is this good news, bad news, something else entirely, or are we just gaining more information to kind of a messy situation? To me, I just first thought was this sounds stressful. Imagine owing someone five hundred million dollars. That's uh, I don't want to owe somebody five bucks, let alone five hundred million. So that's my first thought when I saw the story. But it is interesting to see Celsius on the other foot, right? They are owed money here as opposed to owing people money, and we have a lot of information now about the hole in their balance sheets, reportedly about one point two billion dollars that they are missing, and this seems to be a large chunk of it, right? Around five hundred million dollars that they are owed by this lending firm, just based on bad deals from years ago. I think the bull market showed that a lot of people were really interested in getting more money. They're hyper leveraging. And then when things started cracking, people were not ready. And it can be easy to forget that midway through this last bull market, we actually had a slowdown, right? June through September of 2021, actually slowed down quite a bit. We saw Bitcoin hit a low of about $28,000 during that period. Right now, obviously, it's much lower. It does really seem like we're entering into a bear market. Even during last summer, people thought that was the beginning of the bear market. Of course, it went back up to about $69,000 in November of 2021. 
So you can see how some of these financial firms got caught in that middle period. That seems to be what happened here. We don't have that confirmed, but if you look at the timeline and look at token prices, it sort of makes sense that this firm got caught in that middle period. They owed a lot of money. They were probably using that collateral for their own lending purposes, and then they got stuck with it. $5 million a month is not enough to pay this off in time. And as Celsius goes through Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and people are going to start getting some of that funding back, they're going to be pulling more from this firm itself. Just another case study here within this larger Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing for Celsius, which itself was a huge behemoth within this space beforehand. So Nali, throw it up to you for your take. Yeah, exactly. Well, and what's interesting here is all of us learning that Celsius first borrowed from Equities First in 2019. And, you know, they were asked to pay back, to get back their collateral. And now that's stuck in limbo. And I'm getting like some major 2008 vibes because like all this market trouble is slowly revealing to us some of the inner workings of all these like giant financial intermediaries that have emerged in the crypto world. Like things most new and maybe small retail investors won't find out unless stuff like this happens. Just like after 2008, I remember we were all forced to learn what a collateralized debt obligation was. I can't even say it even now. So if nothing else, I feel like all of this that's happening, it's kind of good for crypto in the long term because we're seeing these problems now and hopefully can do a better job, not only for regulators to be looking at, but also a better job of self-regulating going forward. At least that is my hope <laughs> for, for crypto at large. Because it's bad news every day. There has to be a silver lining, right, Jen? That was rather optimistic, Sandali. That was very optimistic of you on the regulator part. I don't know if I <laughs> share that optimism. It seems like we're seeing these stories unfold every day. And there's a lot of talk about it, but I don't see any action. It's interesting to see some of the context into what's been going on with Celsius behind the scenes. Will, you said you were stressed out about that $500 million debt. For me, the stressful part of this story was imagine going back to get the collateral you put up for a loan and then hearing that actually you can't get that back. Adam, I saw your hand go up. My question kind of comes back to you, though. It's for people who had funds with Celsius. What does this mean for them? What should they take away from these stories that we bring up on the show every day? Yeah, I mean, I think the important thing for people to remember, and it's hard to see it at times where things are good, and it's easy to see it when times are bad. So it's important to learn the lessons when times are bad. Whenever you're looking at something that looks like it's too good to be true of free money, it probably is too good to be true. And that, I think, is what caught up a lot of people in this. You know, we have this thing called recency bias, right? Which is we expect what's been happening recently to continue happening because it's been happening recently, right? And so that means that when things change, they can change really, really fast. So when you're looking at these types of projects, you know, ultimately you're looking at projects that were promising to take your money and at very little or no risk to yourself, turn it into more money. And that's almost always not something that works over the medium or long term. So I think that's kind of the lesson to take away. I want to turn to the Equities First, though. You know, they have a statement on their website that says Equities First is an institutional investment firm that specializes in long-term asset-backed financing. And that is interesting because Equity First is not a crypto company at all, as far as I can tell. It appears they did deal in crypto assets from a collateralization standpoint, but didn't do much beyond that. So that also is a very interesting thing to me about this story is that I think this is the first non-crypto land player who we've seen behave in this fashion. And from, again, we don't know everything about what's going on in this deal, 
But from the way that that deal looks like it worked, it looks like this lender was having problems with solvency themselves long before crypto did. And it's part of what caused this manifestation of it in crypto. Sindali, you get the last word on this one. Thanks, Adam. No, I just wanted to kind of clear up what I meant about the regulators. And that's exactly that. We're seeing sort of crypto spill over into stuff that our current financial regulators actually understand and are familiar with and, you know, can hop in and go, oh, okay, I don't need to go to a blockchain seminar for this. Like I, I can, you know, see how my rules apply to these new changes that are happening. And I think that is what's important here, just from a policy perspective. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.